teach these days is mostly for kids. I don't know whether it was always that way or whether it's changed now, but it's mostly a thing for kids. There's stories of flying reindeer and overweight truckers who hit every house in one night in the world. There's snowmen who talk and dance, um, and there's little elves, and really nobody believes this except kids. Most of the great movies, Miracle on 34th Street, The Christmas Story, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, they have adults in them, but the star of the show are kids. And when we do pageants, we do, even on the platform, we, it's mostly about kids. You'll, you'll see it on Christmas Eve. There will be another pageant, and it, the adults won't even play the adult role. We'll have kids dressing up like Joseph and Mary and kids looking like shepherds and like wise men. So in the pageants at Christmas time, it's like the kids get to play adults, but the adults never get to play kids. You've always seen children dressed up like Mary and Joseph. You've never seen an adult act like a baby and get in a manger. I hope you've not. It would have ruined it. When you go to the mall, it's the same thing. They have these big, long lines for Santa. We were yesterday, and I said to my sister, get in line. She said, you get in line. I said, we could get a picture and sell that. She said, you'd sell one. It'd be on Facebook, and it'd be free after that. Of a six-five, ugly bald guy sitting on Santa's lap. It's about kids. Most of the money that is spent at Christmas time is not for technology or sweaters or even neckties, if you can believe it. Except for some rich guy that buys his wife a Lexus. Most of the money is spent on kids, on toys, which is what makes this last story so meaningless. It's Christmas for old people. Now relax, because most of you are used to hearing the phrase old people as if it were some kind of racial slur. You know, I am not, don't call me that. So you pretend to be younger too long. It's like the rest of us are on to you, man. But you ain't on to you yet. So it's like your seasons are changing, but you're still stuck wearing culottes or something. And you come to, you know, you, you should not know. You should not be doing that on Sunday. So I'm not going to use it in the derogatory term because it really is one of the most powerful stories in the entire Christmas season. It is about God coming down and singling out two old people. The first thing I want you to see is that they are guided by the Holy Spirit. 
I'm going to put it like this. Three times in the story, please, this is not just textual homework. This is significant. Three times in the story, we are told that the Holy Spirit rested on Simeon, that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon, and that the Holy Spirit had guided Simeon to walk into the temple at that time. Please don't look over this. This is not a minor detail. There are only a handful of occasions in the entire Bible where the Holy Spirit comes out from behind the veil and is this active. Most of the time, the Holy Spirit is active, but you can't see it. He is often not even alluded to. But in this story, the Holy Spirit suddenly becomes very visible, and he wants us to know that nothing is left to chance. The entire scene has been choreographed by the Holy Spirit. This is significant. I look back in my memory, I could be wrong, but I started to think, when are the times in biblical history I've seen the Holy Spirit this active? I saw him this active in the act of creation. I saw him this active when they were building the tabernacle, Bezalel and the Holy Act. I saw him this active when he was calling the people in exile back from Babylon to their homeland. I saw him this active when he was orchestrating the writing of the Scripture, Second Peter says, prophets wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I see him this active now. What I'm telling you is, the scene that you just watched is as carefully scripted by the Holy Spirit as Scripture itself. This is a holy scene. There is no resistance. There's no fighting with the Holy Spirit. When something new happens to your life, you embrace it. Even if you don't like it, you absorb it. And instead of fighting it, you let God shape you through it. So to be righteous and devout is to be a person who is open to the ways of God as He brings them into your life. And shape by the Holy Spirit, so that you become a person who is simple and elegant, uncomplicated, 
serious, focused, loving the church and the people of God. When I You know, you've seen your whole life, and you've seen the underbelly of righteousness in the church. And pretty soon, as a boy, you start thinking, you know, not everybody who acts righteous is righteous. And then you start thinking, wow, most people who act righteous aren't righteous. And then as you get a little older in your teens, a deep cynicism sets in, and you start thinking, nobody's righteous. inside, I started thinking, oh, you know, I got five days with this guy. This is going to be a millennium. Day after day, year after year, day after day, day after day. And you know what? I met some really fun people, and a lot of stuff was wrong in five days. had an iPhone. He was just laying in bed with his eyes shut. And as I walked by the door, he opened his eyes. And I said, good night, Mr. And I went to my bed that night. I know it's a small thing, but I went to my bed that night and I thought to myself for the first time, Jesus is real. Dude, righteous people are like Santa Claus when you're younger. You just don't see them but once a year, and even then you wonder, somebody make a return. But then you see, and it was as if the Spirit said to me, in spite of your Have you ever lived with someone or been around someone long enough to say, that person is genuine, yes or no? They were They were real. And I had to say, I need to change that thinking. I need to change the way I 
15 or 16 straight chapters of the prophet Isaiah prophesying the consolation or the redemption of Israel. This is the stuff he said. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his payback accompanies him. Before the nations, uh, be, before him, the nations are nothing. They are regarded as worthless and less than nothing. For he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He brings princes to naught. He reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root, than he blows on them, and they wither, and the whirlwind sweeps them away. Here is my servant, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. And in him the islands will put their hope. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and the Holy One of Israel. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see you and bow down, because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. These two old-timers are walking through the courtyard of the temple, and all of these passages are rich in their minds, and they are telling themselves, God is about to do something in our day. They are old, but they are not letting go. They are not cynical. They are not bitter. They are optimistic because they've read the Scriptures. And the Holy Spirit has told them, this will happen in your day. And how did they know? Because he's done it before. Turns out when you read Isaiah's prophecies, a lot of the language sounds like the Exodus. And when you read the Exodus, the language sounds like creation. So here are two old people in the temple remembering a prophet who was 700 years before they were. And the reason the prophet could say it was because it had happened in Exodus. And the reason it happened in Exodus was because God did it in Genesis, this is the way God works. Paul, the really pagan theologian, says it's like making a snowball on top of a hill and pushing it down the hill. The snowball is there in its entirety at the top of the hill when you make it. But as it rolls down the hill, it starts to gather momentum and it adds another layer of reality. This is the way God's prophecies work throughout the Scripture. So when Simeon and Anna are in the temple, they look back and see layer upon layer upon layer of God's salvation. And they are alive. And now they see Jesus. When you wait 
the Holy Spirit's voice when you read the Scriptures saying to you, this is true in your day. I am doing this even now. When you wait forward, you live righteous and devout lives even though there is no opposed reward for you. When you wait forward, you start searching for the thing you are waiting for. You don't lean back and say, any time God will make it happen. You know that God is already making it happen. It is already before you, maybe in its instant form, though you can't tell it. When you wait forward, you look at the signs of evil around the world. And you know that God is still in control. And let me tell you something. You have to be alive a long time in order to have your heart broken and see God respond again. You have to have God take things from you that you love in order to see that He always gives you more on the other end. When God speaks and you are young, all you have is faith. But when you are old,
peace. Even young people will become exhausted. Young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. What a great message and great thought.